Well, good morning, Orangewood. Great to see all of you here today. Those uh, joining us online, great to have you with us as well. Um, before we get to our sermon uh, this morning, uh, this week was a very important week in the life of our country uh, as a 50-year decision was overturned on abortion. Anyway. Um, and I will say in many ways, I celebrate this uh, decision for its commitment to the Bible as it defines life created by God and is sacred for all of life, even in the womb. And at the same time, I don't know about you, at the same time, I'm grieved um, knowing that this decision is only leading to further division, further disunity uh, in our country. And so I just wanted to say this morning and remind us of our value as a church, always truth, always love, um, that we are a church committed to the truth, following God as he leads us, surrendered to the Bible as our guide and authority that takes us to Jesus, but also to be people of love. And what I say by that is um, this is not the time to say or to type, we won, we won, we won. Um, it is... A, um, only going to probably stir up more anger, but how do I, and I'm speaking here, Tyler, become a person pervaded by love? How do I become pervaded by love towards others who I disagree with? And so God has called uh, the people of Jeremiah, uh, Jeremiah's time, he said, said, you're in exile, you're in this country that's a foreign land. Um, how do you seek the peace of the city. How, how, how do I become a person committed to the truth and at the same time pervaded by love? And so this morning, I just would love to pray uh, for the healing in our land as this decision goes forth. God's uh, glory would go forth, um, healing in our land, healing in our world. That At the same time, there are um, verbal assaults uh, happening across the political aisle in our country, there are actual assaults happening in countries like Ukraine to be reminded again, oh, this world is broken and God, we need you. Um, and that God would meet us in his word this morning. So let's pray together. Well, our Father, we come as your people uh, needing you this morning um, and knowing that our world needs you. And we just pray right now, uh, as, as you have worked through the courts, uh, to honor your word, um, that we also know that's going to bring more division around us and more fear and more isolation. And so, Lord, we, we pray as your people that you would heal our land. That's what you call us to do. Pray as your people that you would heal our land. Uh, we pray that you'd bring healing to our world. We pray uh, for what is happening in Ukraine still, uh, for the unrest in our world. Lord, be with us. And as we come to your word today, Lord, would you open um, our hearts, our minds, our very souls uh, to find peace and rest in you as you are our great shepherd. We pray this in Jesus name. And everyone said, amen. Amen. If you're a guest with us today, uh, I'm actually really glad you're here. Uh, we this summer are in a series called Summer in Psalm 23. And we're looking at this great psalm uh, that maybe you have known through the years, Psalm 23, and all that God would have to teach us about being our shepherd in this day. 
And as our encouragement, we find uh, through the summer, we will, we're calling you to memorize Psalm 23, that, that it, it, you would, as we make our way through it, each verse that you would memorize uh, where we are. And, and so this morning, out of reverence for God's word, would I ask you to stand as we read where we've been and uh, our section for today uh, out of Psalm 23, that we would read this out loud uh, together this morning. So uh, church, let's read this together, starting in verse one. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Friends, this is the word of the Lord. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. Uh, today, we are going to be looking at all of verse 3, which is a pretty daunting task, all of verse 3, which says this, he restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. I have a question for you this morning as we begin. What is the most important thing to you? What's the most important thing to you? Uh, I learned through the years that you will find very, very different answers uh, with what is the most important thing uh, to people. Um, on December 28th, 2007, that was a very important day in my life and Rachel's life. That was the day that we got married. And that day, if you have been married, is such a blur. There's, there's just so much going on uh, on your wedding day. Uh, there's so, uh, so many people, so many handshakes, uh, so many different conversations that I don't remember that I had with people. But there is one conversation that I do remember. Uh, Rachel and I had just sat down to eat our dinner, which if you've gone that, that day is pretty hard. You have about five minutes before they send you on to whatever uh, the next thing is you have to do. Uh, and, and we sit down and then one uh, member of Rachel's family from Texas uh, came up to our table. He was an older uh, guy and he said to us, can I show you my babies? And, you know, and I'm th sure that sounds great. Can I show you a picture of my babies? And um, I was thinking maybe his grandchildren at this point, you know, or maybe even his kids. Uh, and in that moment, he, he pulled out the picture. He put it right in front of us on the table. Uh, it was, uh, these babies were the two latest deers he had shot, stuffed, and hung on his wall. Uh, did I mention he's from Texas? Uh, and I don't know why he wanted to show us that at our wedding. Um, I don't know why he was carrying around a picture of that at our wedding. Um, I mean, he had to have decided before he left the house to come to our wedding, like, this is essential, right? Um, do, I have, do I have everything I need for this wedding today? Uh, suit, check. Uh, wedding invitation, check. Car keys, check. Picture of my babies, <laughs> check. What is the most important thing to you? Uh, some people, it's their favorite car. Uh, other people, uh, it's their favorite team. Uh, you know, if you have a favorite team, when they win, uh, your, your, your spirit soars. Uh, when they lose, like, don't be around me for the afternoon. 
uh, summits your pet. There's a, a study that was done recently that found that the most important thing to many Americans is their pet. They found out in this study uh, that many would choose to cuddle with their favorite pet more than a spouse, a boyfriend, or a girlfriend. So for some of you, that, that favorite pet could be a dog, and some of you, that favorite pet could be a cat. Um, and we don't have enough time for me to say what I really feel about cats this morning, so we're just gonna keep moving. <laughs> but what's the most important thing to you? Now, I have another question. What's the most important part of you, of you as a person? Is it your eyes? Is it your arms? What is the most important part to you? The answer is your soul. What is your soul? That's our first question. And what I think happens sometimes is we know that word soul and, and we think we have an idea of what the soul is, but we actually can be wrong. Uh, what I found is that when you ask someone about what is our soul, a lot of people will give uh, what one writer calls the Looney Tunes version of the soul. Um, and, and one of the best places you see this is in the old Daffy Duck cartoons. Anyone remember the old Daffy Duck cartoons, right? Um, Daffy Duck gets shot like every episode, which that in itself just goes against all our modern sensibilities, right? I mean, could you imagine Dora the Explorer being shot? But Daffy gets shot, and then after Daffy is on the ground, there's this vapory, watery version of Daffy that, that comes up from Daffy's body, right? And it either has wings or horns, depending on how Daffy was that day. And, and that's what we sometimes have is our vision of the soul, that it's this vaporous, almost ghostly-like version, immaterial part of us that will go to heaven when we die. And you may be thinking to yourself this morning, I'm pretty certain that that's what I think the soul is. Well, if you just will hang with me today, I wanna to give us a more biblically nuanced version of what the soul is. As human beings made in God's image, you have many parts to you. Uh, you have a, a, a will, like at the core of your being. And then you have a mind that's made up of your thoughts and your feelings. And you have this body that holds you all together. And, and then there is the soul that connects your will, your mind, your body, all into one living person. That's your soul that connects everything. Eugene Peterson uh, put it this way. The term soul is an assertion of wholeness, the totality of what it means to be a human being. The soul works like a magnet, pulling all the pieces of our lives into unity. Uh, Peterson, who devoted a good portion of his life to creating the message Bible translation, has some amazing things to say about the soul. And the soul in the Hebrew is this word nephesh. Can you say that? Nephesh. Nephesh. Um, and it's translated life in Hebrew because nephesh represents all of me, not just the, the immaterial part of me. Uh, and we see this actually in Genesis 2, 7. Uh, this is how nephesh represents the whole person. Then the Lord God formed the man out of dust from the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. And the man became a living creature, living creature. And when it says living creature, it actually in the Hebrew is a living nephesh. A healthy, integrated soul is breathing in the breath of God, like we see in Genesis 2. And that's how we were originally made to find our meaning and wholeness with and in God. 
Uh, another possible analogy to try to give you some ideas of how the soul works. Uh, the soul operates like your operating system on your phone or your computer. Uh, the operating system integrates all the apps, the phone, the texting, the internet, the screen, the body of the phone, it integrates all of that. And in some ways without being seen, but it holds your device together into one unified whole. And the only time you actually begin to notice the operating system on your phone is when? When it's not working like it is supposed to, right? Uh, the phone is lagging, um, it's taking way too long to download something. Basically, when your phone is not operating correctly, when your phone was not operating as it was designed, fully integrated, all the parts working together, and much like your phone, when you are not integrated correctly with and in God, drawing on the breath of God into your being to sustain you, you will begin to notice something is wrong in me. Uh, we were not designed to live without God. So when those times happen in our life, we will have a spinning mind or a racing heart or a tightening gut. We will feel anxiety in our bodies. If we seek to live life any other place other than with and in God, guess what? The soul in you that holds all of you together will, that was meant to be integrated into God will become disintegrated. We will be cast down. This is why the psalmist is crying out in Psalm 42. He says this, why are you cast down, O my soul? And why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. We see that this cast down soul is connected actually to our psalm that we're studying all this summer. That uh, the overall context of Psalm 23 is about a shepherd and his sheep. And as we have found a cast down soul, so the shepherd will find cast down sheep. And you will see this with sheep. They begin to lose their, their balance. When, when they fall over, that is what it means for them to be cast. They've, they've toppled over and they are unable to get back up on their own. So Philip Keller, uh, who's written an excellent book we've been looking at, A Shepherd Looks at Psalm 23, tells us that cast sheep um, who have fallen over are are at, they're exposed to a whole host of problems. Uh, when a sheep lies down and it's caught by gravity or it loses its footing on the mountain and it becomes cast, the problem can go from bad to worse because the sheep becomes cast and it loses blood circulation to its extremities. And the sheep, when it finds itself in hot and sunny conditions, much like Israel, only has a couple hours before death. But most of the times, how sheep become cast, much like our souls, is when they wander away from the sustaining and life-giving presence of the shepherd. This is actually how Isaiah put it. Uh, All we like sheep have gone astray. We've turned everyone to his own way. Uh, most of us, myself included, don't want to follow we don't want to listen. We don't want to be told what to do. But that will only lead your soul into very lonely, dark, and dangerous places on your own. Uh, a cast soul, much like a cast sheep, is exposed to the elements where predators are waiting to come and kill. It is a race against time. And in those moments of languishing, 
As we have chosen our own way, we've rejected God's presence. So the question then is, what does our soul need? What does the soul need? That's our second question. And we see it right here in Psalm 23, verse 3. It says this, God restores the soul. Uh, to restore in Hebrew is this word shuv. It, it means to return or to restore, to, to redeem back what was lost. Uh, in 1975, there was this angry man who made his way into uh, the museum in Amsterdam seeking out Rembrandt's painting Nightwatch. And upon finding the painting, he began with a knife cutting holes in it. Um, and actually, we found through history, this is very common. People want to break into museums to trash fine, amazing works of art. Uh, but after this man uh, is, is cutting into this famous picture by Rembrandt, uh, the officials of that museum didn't decide to throw away the painting. They didn't decide to put it in the trash. They brought in the best experts with fine precision and the utmost care, and they restored that painting. You see, for your life and my life, God doesn't just simply throw us out. We are restored. Restoration is extremely important. And I think for understanding humanity as the Bible describes it, we are not here as some accident by time and chance. Restoration matters because you and I are part of a bigger story that God is telling in this world that is culminating in the restoration of all things, that all is broken, but all will be remade. And understanding that story is so important for where we sit today. But what happens sometimes is rather than handing over our soul to God for restoration, uh, we then turn to myths or illusions of restoration. Uh, we see this first myth of restoration in our culture right now. Uh, much has been written on it, but it falls primarily under this main heading. Restoration comes through me finding what I feel, uh, what one writer calls emotivism. Uh, the restoration of the soul we're all looking for is connected primarily to what I feel. What I think would make me happy is what will determine how I find my soul's restoration. Our modern culture, especially here in Orlando, tells us, follow your heart. Follow your heart wherever it leads you. Follow how you feel. As, as long as you're not harming anyone, trust your heart. Now, no one can give you a definition of what harm means. That's also a part of this discussion that uh, many have talked about. There's no consensus definition on harm, but there is the sense, as long as I'm not hurting anyone, that's how our culture says it, uh, do what you feel. There was a song that came out, and my guess is it has to be from the early 90s. Um, I saw the music video. Uh, it's a song with Reba McIntyre and Vince Gill. And I know it must be a song from the early 90s because Vince Gill is actually skinny. Um, it's, it's, been, it's been a while. Um, but the, the song that they're singing is called The Heart Won't Lie. The, the, the heart won't lie to you. This summer, I had the great privilege of introducing my boys to a summer iconic movie classic uh, called The Sandlot. Anyone seen The Sandlot? 
Yeah, what a great movie. Um, and if you haven't seen the movie, uh, it's okay. I'll give you a quick uh, recap of the story. Um, uh, the, the boys go every day to play baseball. These young boys go every day to play baseball at this field. Um, but there's a bad situation they run into because one of the boys uh, decides to take his dad's signed Babe Ruth baseball to be used to play on the field. And one guy hits it over the fence where this, there's a gigantic dog. That's, that's the situation they're trying to solve. So Smalls uh, is the guy who brings this baseball. And, and the great line through the movie is, you're killing me, Smalls. And of course, Smalls gets them into this situation. Uh, but but Benny the Jet, who's kind of the supreme player above all that, everyone knows it, uh, has a dream one night. Uh, and in the, in the dream, Babe Ruth comes to speak to him in the dream and tells him, you have to jump over that fence. You, Benny, have to get the ball back uh, from this gigantic uh, dog. And then at the end of this dream where Babe Ruth's talking to Benny, he, uh, he, he says this line, and you may remember this line, it says this, heroes get remembered but legends never die. Follow your heart, kid, and what? You will never go wrong. You will never go wrong. Whatever you feel, you need to follow it. You need to surrender your heart to whatever makes you happy because your heart won't lie. Now, let me tell you why that way of restoration will let you down. The first reason is simply from the Bible. Uh, the prophet Jeremiah has been called to proclaim to these people a warning in the beginning of Jeremiah. Like, this is where your life is taking you. You're going to end up in exile, but here is God's invitation to you. This, this is the kind of life God wants to invite you into in and with him. And, and he says this uh, even to us this morning. It says this in Jeremiah 17. Uh, blessed is the man who trusts in the Lord, whose trust is the Lord. He's like a tree planted by water that sends out its roots by the stream and does not fear when heat comes for its leaves remain green and it's not anxious in the year of drought for it does not cease to bear fruit. This is the invitation Jeremiah's giving. This, this is the life God longs for you to have. That, that, that kind of life, I, I would like that. No matter the circumstances, no matter the heat, no matter the drought, you can thrive, you can flourish. Why? Because you're planted in God, trusting him for all things in your life. Why would Jeremiah tell them to trust God? Why, why doesn't he say, here's the invitation, follow your heart. It won't lie. Trust your heart, kid. Why nothing of that of our modern understanding? Well, it's because of the very next verse in Jeremiah, it says this, the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick, who can understand it? Uh, this word for deceitful in this passage in the Hebrew is a word akov. Um, it was actually a word primarily used with ancient terrain uh, particularly the kind you would find in Israel that with desert mountains that were, the train was hilly or unstable or treacherous. It was Akov. And so Akov became used of the train and now Jeremiah is using it to describe our hearts. Our hearts are unstable and difficult to navigate and they can become treacherous. The Bible says we must trust God and not our hearts. We will find the terrain of our lives very difficult if we are trusting our hearts to lead and guide us. So the Bible is crystal clear on God's ultimate plan for restoration in and with him. 
and your soul in all reality, you keep asking, does this feel good? It will only lead you to more unstable, treacherous terrain. But not only does the Bible show us this, we actually see this in our lives as well, personally, how trusting our hearts can lead us to some very difficult places. Um, a couple months back, I mentioned in a sermon uh, the important distinction we need to make between Cinnamon Toast Crunch and every other phony, lousy, off-brand that tries to compete. And in your kindness to me as a church, some of you felt led to supply me with Cinnamon Toast Crunch. Um, the only problem is that God led multiple people to supply me with at least a month's supply of Cinnamon Toast Crunch. And what I want you to know is, this morning, I followed my heart. I enjoyed Cinnamon Toast Crunch every night by myself. It was amazing. And you know who else enjoyed Cinnamon Toast Crunch? My waistline. I gained 10 pounds. Now, imagine the boxes of Cinnamon Toast Crunch didn't run out. Where would I be in six months? A year, five years. What would I say to the doctor in two years who tells me I'm a type two diabetic? Tyler, what happened to you? I would say, doc, I didn't harm anyone else. I'm fine. I followed my heart. It never lies to me. What do you think the doctor is going to say? He's going to say something like, well, Tyler, your blood panel doesn't lie either. And I want you to know, I love you as a church. Thank you so much for the Cinnamon Church Crunch, but please no more. My heart is desperately wicked. Everything that feels good is not necessarily good for me. Where are the places that you have given in to what feels good in your life? Um, would your kids say, mom is sure on her phone a lot. Dad is sure gone a lot. Do you find yourself justifying things? What's one more episode? What's one more drink? My time in front of the computer, it does not bother anyone. It does not harm anyone. No one else knows about it. Everything is okay. The heart is a cove, a rocky, unstable terrain. And Jesus wants to save our souls. He said it this way. And he summoned the crowd with his disciples and he said to them, if anyone wishes to come after me, he must deny himself, take up his cross and follow me. For whoever wishes to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospels will save it. For what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and forfeit his soul? Jesus invites us to give up our lives to him, to follow him, to let him lead, uh, to say to Jesus that our feelings have gotten us in trouble. Now, I want to make sure it says feelings are not all bad. Please hear me say that. Feelings are not all bad, but we need a greater authority to help us make sense of them. And Jesus can be that guide. Contrary to Reba and Vince, our hearts will lie to us all the time. But secondly, we need to see the other myth of restoration. It's not 
the restoration of the soul through feelings. What do I feel? But it's looking for restoration through our thinking. The philosopher Descartes said, I think, therefore I am. And sadly, this one, I think, is a bigger problem we have in the church. We believe that we can think our way to restoration. If I just have a little bit more information, more Bible knowledge. Um, now, please hear me saying, I'm not saying stop reading your Bible. Please hear me say that. I'm not saying that. I am saying that reading your Bible for just more knowledge, for more data will not bring the restoration of your soul. Uh, Jesus, the great shepherd, came inviting people to experience eternal life right here with God like he knew it, where he lacked nothing with God. And he came showing us the eternal kind of life that we can have with God. And guess who his biggest distractors were in the first century? It was the people who had the Bible memorized. Uh, the people, the Pharisees, literally had all of the Hebrew Bible memorized and the oral tradition of their day. They'd memorized the interpretations on the Bible. It's pretty impressive. But their soul was dying. And you see how Jesus responds to the Pharisees in John 5. He says this. You search the scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life. It is these that testify about me. And you are willing to come to me so that you may have life. Friends, we can't think our way to restoration. One of the fundamental realities of your soul as a human person is that you and I are not what we know. We're not primarily thinking beings. We are what James Smith says, we are what we love, what has our heart, what has our desires, what has our will. Uh, in his book by the same title, Smith tells this really funny story of how his wife had gotten into uh, uh, farming and food sourcing, the power of local organic food that you have created and you have ripped from the ground with your own hands in the soil. And, and in this book, he, he's reading, he's like, this is amazing. This is riveting. I, I need to be doing this. This is awesome. Um, he is just completely uh, overwhelmed by what he's reading, this knowledge from this book about local organic, local source farming right in his own home. And he realized at one point in reading about this that he was sitting reading this riveting information as he was at Costco eating a Costco's hot dog. <laughs> and let me just say that Costco's hot dog is delicious. Um, there's no debate about that. But Smith says this to show how we are not primarily thinking beings. There's a lot of things we know that we're not living out. We are what has our will. Put another way, uh, if you go to the gym those first two weeks of January, you, you can't find a machine, right? There, there's, there's no machine available. Why? Because everybody's come to the gym. Why? Because they know I need to be working out more. They know I need to be more active. But give it a few weeks, what happens? The gym naturally finds its place back to people who have the habits woven in their body. Put another way, have you ever known anyone in a church through the years who knew a lot about the Bible? You could ask them any question and they knew the answer. At the same time, that same person with all that Bible knowledge was a jerk. You know, the second, you, you can think of someone in your mind, right? That there's someone that comes to mind. They were brilliant. They knew so much about the Bible and I never wanted to be around them. You can think of that, right? If you can't think of someone, 
might have to just, you know, that's a, that's a thing for you. What does our soul need? What does our soul need? Psalm 23 tells our soul needs restoration. How do we get what we need? That's our final question. It tells us right here in the passage. It says, Psalm 23, that the shepherd will lead us in paths of righteousness. The shepherd will lead us in truth and goodness. Why are paths so important? Well, if you've been to Israel, you know that this uh, terrain, particularly in the southern part of Israel, particularly where Bethlehem and Jerusalem are, where David is riding, um, it all looks the same. Uh, the desert mountains, they all look the same. You have no idea where you are. So it's easy to get confused, easy to become disoriented. Paths were super important. And the sheep were notorious in this environment for wandering off on their own. Sheep would get lost if they left the shepherd's care. And it tells us the shepherd will lead us in paths of righteousness. And the word for paths here is actually not the main word you find in Hebrew for uh, the usual word for paths. It's the word magal, which is better translated round paths or tracks. Now, why is that important? Well, you see, the usual thing we think of a path in, in the ancient Hebrew Bible is a path of straightness. Uh, how do, what's the quickest way I can get from here to there? Uh, but this word, it is used, if we can bring up the picture, this round, long pass. And if you look at this picture here of these desert mountains, those lines that you see across the mountains, they, they look like they're almost marked in there. Those are the pass of Magal. It is the long, round path up the mountain to get to the top. And this is how shepherds had to lead their sheep. They couldn't just go straight up the mountain. The mountain's too steep, too dangerous. For you and me, the shepherd knows what you need. And uh, in our culture with uh, so much on technique and efficiency, and I'm not against those, but it does create a sense of expectation for us that everything should always work within my timeline. In fact, it's easy for us to become frustrated and question God. God, why are you taking so long to answer me? Why are you leading me this way? And this is how Adam and Eve lost the nephesh. They questioned God was holding out on them. So they took the fruit from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. They didn't want to receive life from God, but wanted to find it on their own terms. All we like sheep have gone astray and turned to our own way. God will lead you many times in life around slow, long, round, taking forever paths up the mountain to life. Why does he do this? I don't know, but it seems to be the story of how God usually works. We see this with the people of Israel. God, God brought them out of bondage. Uh, he, he's leading them. Now, now, God could have led them directly east, straight across to the land of Israel. That would have taken them weeks, maybe a month to get there from Egypt. How long did it take God to lead them? 40 years. The long, slow, round path. What are you doing, God? Why am I out here? I thought I could trust you. But Israel, like sheep, turned to their own way. Abraham and Sarah uh, were told by God, I know you're old in age, but I'm going to bless you with a child. Um, but God was taking too long. 
The path was round and long up the mountain, so they turned to Hagar, their servant, to provide them a child to solve the problem. All we, like sheep, have gone astray. Our problem as sheep is, sadly, we think we know how our life is supposed to go. In our estimation, it will always be quicker, less painful, less burdensome, less round, and more straight paths. But God tells us the restoration only comes when you give up trying to know and control the way and follow me. I brought up one more picture here. God says to you this morning, if you want your soul to be restored, if you want an integrated life, you'll have to trust me as your shepherd to lead you. Even when you struggle to know where I'm going or what I'm doing, even when when it's taking longer than you expected to get where you want, Trust that I'm good. Listen to my voice. I know the better way. And I will lead you to a life of righteousness where you will lack nothing of need. Do you want that kind of life this morning? Where wholeness fills your soul, where peace pervades your reality, follow this good shepherd. He knows what he's doing. He knows where he is taking you, and he promises this morning he will restore your soul. Let's pray together. Well, Father, we needed to be reminded this morning of your goodness. And for many of us, we may find ourselves on a long round path that you're leading this morning. And so by your spirit, enable us to trust in Jesus that he is our good shepherd, that he will lead us and guide us, and we will have our souls restored in you. We pray this in Jesus' name, and everyone said, amen.